welcome to Rotopope episode number 12, At Long Last. I'm your co-host, Sean Birch, and as always, I'm joined by the Rotopope himself, Aaron Sauceda. Aaron, how's it feel to be back from the dead, my friend? Oh, Sean, it feels good. It's been way too long, man. What, what have you been up to? I feel like you've been uh, somewhere in the dungeons of Boise or something like that. I haven't been able to talk to you that much recently. You've been pretty busy, huh? Yeah, I've just been out here in the sticks of Boise. Uh, what have I been doing? I went swimming in a pond. I've uh, oh, nice. been playing hoops with the Mormons out here. I went to Seattle. Um, I think I'm not sure if we'd talk since I got back from Seattle. That was a nice little break uh, for a few days. I'm a big fan of the uh, PNW. And yeah, uh, other than that, that's that. about it. What, yeah. Uh, what have you been up to, bud? Yeah, nothing really. Uh, you know, same old, same old. Went to uh, went to Jay's first birthday party this past weekend. That was that was a good time. Um, you know, missed you there, obviously, and then. You know, babies at Jake and yesterday Jay, which is uh, Joe's son, oh. it was his first birthday party. Yeah, right. How could, how could I forget? <laughs> and then, um, yeah, yeah. So that was pretty much it. And then went to uh, me and Olivia went to an impromptu Dodger game on on Monday. Uh, Kurt Choke versus Bumgarner, and um, I, I don't know, I don't remember how that even happened, but I was, I think I had just maybe mentioned the baseball game earlier today. I'd definitely been thinking about it because it was Kurt Choke. Uh, versus Bumgarner too, and then um, right. Olivia just came up to me around like five or five thirty, and the game's at seven. She's like, she's like, I want to go to the baseball game. I'm like, what? Are you serious? Whoa, I was like, no. whoa, wait, yeah. hold the phone. Your daughter <laughs> one your your daughter wanted to go see this game. Yeah, she's not she even. Said, she, yeah, she said she wanted to go to the baseball game. So I was like, oh, yeah. I was like, are you sure? And she's like, yeah. And then so I kind of pushed back a little. I was like, oh, what if we just, you know, we went to go get you know snacks from the store, watch it on TV because I feel like the only reason she likes <laughs> to go is to get the snacks or the cotton candy or whatever. <laughs> And then she wasn't really fond of that idea. She's like, no, let's go. And then for like half an hour, went back and forth. Me just trying to poke holes in that, see if she really wanted to go. And then uh, eventually, yeah, she just kept saying, yeah. So I was like, okay, let's just go. So I bought tickets and then we head over there. Um, got there pretty good timing. Still got there in the middle of the first inning. So yeah, it was a good time and met up with um, Billy and Chris afterwards at salt and straw. got the uh, zucchini bread ice cream, which was great. And uh, why out of all the flavors in the world of ice cream you can get and you go to wait in line at pretty decent ice cream spot. I mean, it's no sweet rose, but it's pretty good. And then you waste it on zucchini. Like why? Like why do you do you man? That flavor is great. Don't you You do it so you can come on the pod (laughs) and flaunt it in my face that you like to have shit ice cream. No, dude, was a flavor. You would try it. I think. I don't think so. First of all, there's like this misnomer about zucchini bread. It's basically just, like sugar bread with some zucchini. I don't really understand why the zucchini's in there, but it, it's it's great. It's kind of like banana bread, I guess, but with zucchini instead. So that that was so great. Look, if, you my... if you don't understand why zucchini's in there, the next logical step would be <laughs> I don't understand why you're even eating it then. Yeah, uh, it, but zucchini bread itself is great. So zucchini bread ice cream by uh, you know just uh, similarly is very good as well. So it's uh, it, it was very good. And dude, I actually tried some other flavors that were quite interesting, including peanut butter and pickles. And um, what was the other one I tried? Something else. Pickles? That was pretty far out there. Yeah, pickles. It, it, it wasn't that good, man, at least for my no, sample. Pickles aren't good. Pickles are for children. They're for your <laughs> five-year-old daughter, maybe. Right, right. And uh, yeah, well, dude, I mean, not to be outdone, Billy ordered, uh, you know, I don't have to put him on blast because I would, I wanted to try this one myself, but he ordered like maple and fennel and fennel is like this veg, this green vegetable. Um, I have no idea what that is, but the maple sounds good. Yeah, it does sound good. Um, Yeah, it's like maple and fennel. So fennel is like this uh, bulbous green vegetable. I think it's a root vegetable. 
so it's really it's a real interesting thing that they're doing there um at salt and straw i really like their their uh yeah inventiveness uniqueness it's cool maybe i'm just like kind of like old-fashioned now that i'm out here in boise and i'm kind of like <laughs> tired of like the big city hot shots like you but like i don't understand like when did ice cream go all hollywood it's like whatever happened to like mint chocolate chip or like cookie mm-hmm. dough you know like the real like american flavors like you're out here getting these like sacrilege flavors that i just can't relate to <laughs> No, it's a fair point. I mean, those places still exist. So, like, for example, I guess I've been eating a lot of ice cream this week, but I think it was on Tuesday. <laughs> I was down uh, down in Baghdad, number two, a.k.a. Irvine, driving back home with uh, it was me, Jadir, and Olivia. And uh, Jadir was in the mood for some kind of sweets, like like specifically some sort of Mexican sweets. So she found this good Mexican ice cream show up on the way home. So we went there. Real interesting place. They had a lot of, like, nice little pop schools and stuff like that. And yeah, there I got, you know, a very classic pop school. It was like an Oreo slash cookies and cream popsicle so like the big oreos in it too it was like they see the full oreos in fact like you're having sex with them it was good and then um <laughs> not, not only that <laughs> not only that but i think you might enjoy this story olivia she started um asking for samples there so she she wanted to try the mango so the guy got her the mango then she wanted to try strawberry and at that point she kind of gave me a a mean look because apparently that's my fault and um so I kind of she's inherited the, the gene where you ask for too many samples. <laughs> well, she was only on all 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 too. if he goes to Baskin Robbins, we'll try all 31 flavors if he's allowed to. <laughs> so, yeah, so she did. I I think as a five year old, she gets a pass like you no know, Syndergaard. But um, <laughs> yeah, it, I, I did have to put an end to it just because I said, well, like, I mean, the sheiksters, you, you you know what strawberry tastes like, at least if you're going to go with the sample route, which <laughs> I support. <laughs> At least go with something that's a little bit more of an unknown. So I think that'll probably be a nuance that she adds as she gets a little bit older. But right now, yeah, she she got the kibosh after one sample. And she eventually got the strawberry. And she didn't even like it either. So I ended up eating that whole thing too. I mean, at least uh, going back to the baseball game, you got to see a vintage Kirchhoek performance, especially against the Giants. He always pitches well against them. Yeah. And, uh, of course, the Dodgers, they've been, you know, bl- blowing games left and right lately. Their bullpen has at least. And uh, that game was no different. And that leads me to asking you about something we talked about off pod, which was you had a basketball meltdown, a pickup basketball meltdown that will go down in the annals uh, of history, I think. Can you at least fill our uh, listeners in a little bit more on it? No, no. Yeah, I will. So yesterday I was playing basketball two on two. Uh, so it was myself, Zach slash Bapa's, uh, Eric, and then Eric's roommate, Mike. So we all went to the courts in Irvine. It was right on the outskirts of UC. It was actually at UC Irvine, basically, your old stomping grounds. And yeah. Uh, yeah, we were playing some We were playing some ball there. So the, gate, the day got off to a pretty good start. So we got there, and then a couple other dudes wanted to play also. They wanted to play threes. So we played threes. Um, me, Eric, and Mike were on a team. We, we beat them pretty, pretty handily. So it was a nice start there. I played pretty well. And then I, I won a game of beans. So, you know, everything's looking pretty good at, at that point. And then we we started a two on two tournament at that point. It's supposed to be, I think we we shot for teams or whatever it was. It ended up being me and Eric versus Zach and Mike. So they they come out pretty strong. They win the first game. It was pretty close, but they they won the first game. And so you know we're playing best two or three. We had a little bit of money on it too, not very much, but a little money on the game on the tournament. Best two or three. And so then if the Bob next game, involved, there's going to be money involved. <laughs> Actually, I think Eric's the one who brought it up. But to your oh, point, wow, Zach was yeah. Eric and Eric and Zach are very similar in that regard, but. Um, 
to your point, Zach was very excited. I think he was the first one to have a audible reaction to that when Eric mentioned it. It was very <laughs> quick. So he appreciated that. So yeah, it was, we were good to go on that. Um, did add a little bit of intensity to the game. That was good. And then, yeah, so they, they won game one. Um, kind of like what we saw. I think Zach got a little bit tired. He was a little bit gassed. He was pretty shocked that we were playing best two or three. He thought we were kidding. He thought it was a winner take all. So no, we, we played game two. Me and Eric blitzed them from the start. We're up 13-0. It's twos and threes to 15. So we kind of think we have that one in the bag. I mean, our, what what is our win probably at that point? I'd be like 99.7% or something like that. And then, dude, they, they go on a little bit of a run. Initially, we're not taking it very seriously, but they hit a three, then they hit another three, then they hit a two, then they hit a three, and suddenly the game's a lot closer. You know, we're starting to tighten up a little bit. Um, <laughs> it doesn't even feel like we get many shots at that point. Like, I don't even know what happened. I think they just went on a run of consecutive threes because, you know, it's winners and stuff. And then I remember we had, like, one or two shots that we missed. And, dude, that was it. And they, they ended up coming back. I think they, they brought it back to 13-12. Uh, so at that point, you know, it's twos and threes. So we're like, okay, no threes. So we're, we're playing pretty up close to the line. They they play that pretty well. They just take a two. So they they go up 13-14. At that point, it's next basket wins. And, dude, yeah, we just never saw the ball again. And they um, they finished it. So it was a pretty demoralizing loss there. Uh, Zach did did mention it was maybe one of the biggest choke jobs. And, and I was like, yeah, I think you, you might be right. But I kind of took – issue with that too i was like i don't know if it was just a choke job necessarily like you guys just went on fire i don't even remember it's like you guys just stole that game we didn't even have a chance to choke really we had like one or two shots i don't know how you guys caught such fire maybe it was choking defensively or something but just the nature of winners you know like if you if you go on some insane streak and you don't miss there's not much we can do i mean look blowing a 13-0 lead is going to 15 i mean that's as close as it gets to like our version of the 2K15 Clippers melting uh, down against the Rockets, as I told you uh, over text. But yeah. here, I, I will say the kicker to me is that Bapas was involved because then you have to hear from him. And for those that don't know Bapas, yeah. just picture Glenn from The Wedding Singer, but in real life. And that's what you're dealing with. They look vaguely similar. Oh, so I, just, I, I would be on suicide watch for a day or two after that just because I would not want to hear anything from Bapas about how I – to him of all people yeah no and it's funny you mentioned that because zach he has a very selective memory so i can give two very good examples of this one is we've been going back and forth on fantasy football settings and he's just been killing this idea of having a kicker and he makes some fair points but his i think what it ultimately comes back to is very strong bias and that i think there was one time where he got screwed where like a kicker went off and his kicker played like shit and they're admittedly a very volatile position. And so he lost because of it. So now he thinks he's just been wronged kind of thing. And I'm sure he doesn't remember all the times where it's probably worked out in his favor. Cause I, as I keep telling him, <laughs> I guarantee you're not inherently more unlucky than anyone else. Like it probably evens out over time. It's just the way it works. So that kind of thing. And then not only that, but yeah, I mean, he, he hit a, uh, he hit a game winner in a championship that we played in. We were, we were playing against each other a few years back in college. He hit the game winner to like win the quote championship of the class. It wasn't over me. It was that we had a girl guarding him, but over time it's cap, it's become me guarding him. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What is, what does that mean? You had a girl guarding him. What girls can't guard men. I've played against women that, they, that would absolutely dominate. It's not that they can. It's just that we, she was our third or fourth best player and they just had some good players that we, we required others to guard it. Cause I agree with you. We had, there were some very good girls in the class, but this particular one, she was more of a shooter and she was, she was smaller and she wasn't a particularly good defender, but um, I didn't. I didn't really mean that comment either to suggest that a girl versus guy. I just meant that it was not me that was guarding him. It was 
this girl that we had. So that was the only point of, of calling that out. But yeah. So, I mean, he, he hit that and yeah, dude, in this game too, in the game, in the first game of the series, he hit the, uh, the great game winner, the game winning three. And then I think Mike hit the game winner, the second one, but I think between all of those things, the, the, ba- the basketball championship in college, the game winner, of the first game, and then them coming back on that 13, zero run or that 16 to zero run actually is what they did. Um, yeah, I think it's going to be hard to live down those series of events, you know, regardless of anything else that may have happened, including us stopping them in the very first three on three game we started playing. So yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be an interesting set of stories that we're going to have to hear from for a while. Well, I mean, thank you for being candid and sharing that with us. I do appreciate (laughs) that. Um, if I can say on the other hand, actually for me, it's been kind of like the polar opposite out here in Boise where, I've come out here and on Wednesday night, I play hoops at this local Mormon church and, you know, they've welcomed me for the most part with open arms and our friend Jared's <laughs> out here and he's just like a beast on the boards. Like for someone that's like six feet one tops, right? Like this guy's yeah. like grabbing all the offensive rebounds out there. And, uh, I love playing with them. And for, I would venture to say we win 80% of our games, including going three and last night, if I may say so. Nice. Um, the only real like hiccup that there's been though is like, like I'm not used to like how like stifling the the Mormon lifestyle is. So even when we're playing hoops, it kind of seeps into it where uh, a couple weeks ago, this one really annoying dude out there who shoots it every time and acts like uh, the Clippers are out there recruiting him. <laughs> he was on the opposite team and, and we were, we were busting his ass. So the ball ricochets off the rim. We're on defense. The ball goes right by my face and I let out like a faint, like, Oh fuck like that. Yeah. Right. It's like pretty yeah. low key. Again, we're all adults there. We get the rebound. We start pushing the ball up court. We have like a three-on-one. He stops the game to tell me, bro, we don't use the F word out here. Hey, and I'm like, what? Yeah, he actually stopped the game to tell me that. Stop put me the on blast. On three on one, two? Yeah. And then I did not – I told him, I was like, look, I'm not trying to be deliberately, deliberately disrespectful out here, but we're all adults, and you just stopped like a fast break. Like that's not really <laughs> kosher when it comes to like pickup basketball. <laughs> and then here's, here's my favorite part. Five minutes later, not even five minutes later, probably the same exact a hole lets out a shit. He says shit as he makes a turnover, and then I tell him afterwards, I'm like, "So shit's okay, but fuck's <laughs> not." Like, I'm like, "This seems pretty arbitrary to me." And uh, needless to say, I haven't even talked to that guy since then. I don't even know if he's actually come back. Um, but that's what I'm dealing with out here. That's like the biggest issue I've had playing pickup in the last month or so. Uh, dude, not not to steal any thunder away from later in the show, but that just sounds like it's ripe for a potential curb episode at some point where you've got like this selective, you know, uh, cursing police or, or of some sort where like there's certain words that, you know, meet, I guess, cross a certain threshold in someone's mind. And so they police that. But I guess there's maybe a, a spectrum of which you can curse. That, that's that's bizarre. Oh, dude, that's actually a great call. I was kind of waiting for like the curb music to drop on me because I genuinely was like perplexed for a second. I was like, I can't believe this guy who's in his 30s <laughs> is stopping a fast break to tell me, bro, we don't say the F word out here. Yeah, it I was, was going to uh, say, yeah, it's like weird. already, I feel like it's just like already enough to even say anything, but fine. Like if it's, if that's the culture within that group of guys that plays, like fair enough, that's fine. But you couldn't have just said it after the the break. You know what I mean? You couldn't have just said it like in passing once you guys are running back on defense or something that, that just seems way over the top uh, a way to handle that. Right. And look, again, to be charitable, I do understand we're at a church. And even though I'm not Mormon <laughs> and I've held off on telling them that Joseph Smith was a crackpot and a con man, <laughs> um, <Easy. laughs> I, it was just weird, right? It's just like, 
I don't know, man, just to, to call on another adult for using the F word and then for him to be the ultimate hypocrite within the next couple of minutes and then cuss himself. I don't know. I, I love the poetic uh, irony in that one. Yeah, no, damn. Well, I mean, should we, should we kick off a, uh, a fast break of some, some other topics here and including some, some of the guys that have come out fast as part of the, uh, yeah, after the all-star break in baseball, any, anyone that you want to talk about there? Yeah, I do. So yeah, you and me were talking about it earlier. Um, we're trying to look at a few of these guys that have been kind of balling out for the last month and then see if there's anything there that can maybe carry over next year. Or if maybe this is just like, you know, a red hot time period and, you know, baseball guys, they go through streaks and it's nothing more than that. Um, if I could, may I please throw a couple of these guys at you and then you kind of just, you know, give me your two cents because you are, of course, the Roto Pope. Yeah, yeah, let's hear it. We could do kind of like that. What, what did Francesca do the other day? Did like a Q&A on Twitter? <laughs> yeah, so instead of a hashtag ask Francesa, I'm doing a hashtag ask Roto Pope right now. Um, so yeah, one of them I'll throw at you. He's been one of the top, it looks like top 20 hitters since the All-Star break, is Juan Soto. And I know he's been one of the guys that's been driving your fantasy team to the top of the uh, standings right now. So kind of fill me in. He's got, it looks like to me, he's got six dingers in the last month. He's batting almost 300. And in on-base percentage leagues, he's absolutely killing it because he's got a 430 yeah. on base and he's got a 600 slugging. So uh, tell me how sweet it is to own this guy who's, what, not even 20 years old? Oh, dude, that, it, it is really sweet. And he's actually really he's really underrated, in my opinion, in in 5x5 five five fantasy leagues. I mean, we, we could talk about it from that perspective, but I'm sure he's just more like, not certainly not an average player, but probably more somewhere within the, the mid-50s or so. So still a very good player, but not nowhere near elite. But everything that he's doing suggests that we might be looking at maybe one of the next superstars in MLB. So he's doing a few things that are pretty amazing, particularly given that the guy's not 20 years old yet. So he's doing things at an age where he shouldn't be doing what he's doing. And in fact, I was looking at some numbers recently, and I think there was a good question that someone asked, like at at, at which point or which age would he have to be in order for this not to be amazing was kind of the question. So given <laughs> that he's 19, all of what he's doing is very amazing. If he, if he right. was 20, he would still be the, it, he would still have the best WRC plus in his 20 year old season ever. So if, even if he was a year older, he would still be maybe the best ever at, at that age. And then you have to, it, it's not until you put him at 21 years old where he's just merely top 10. So it goes from, this is just absolutely fucking stupid to more like this is just maybe one of the top 10 seasons. So it suddenly becomes a little bit more, or I guess I should say a little bit less extraordinary if he was 21 years old. And I'm sure it'd be a little bit more ordinary at 22. So he's basically just performing in a way that he shouldn't be at his age and, and probably not for another three years, really. So that's that's pretty amazing. And some of the, the most amazing things about it are, um, I would say it's actually probably comes down to his plate discipline because he... He walks like you you said the on base. He walks 20% of the time, at least since the all-star break. And pretty much all season since he came up, he's been walking more than he's been striking out, which is pretty amazing for anyone, let alone a 19-year-old. So this guy looks like um definitely one of the next superstars that we'll be seeing in the league. And he's uh maybe maybe a little bit less exciting in five by five fantasy, but still just maybe because I I'm, I'm a baseball fan too. So it's it's fun to own that kind of player that you know is is pretty historic, or at least it looks like he's pretty historic. Yeah, I mean, dude, you you really kind of like I I don't want to say lucked into it, but I mean, you guys, there was some um, some good fortune in the sense that you, you had a I think a 
taxi squad pick in the middle of our season, right? And that's how you picked him up. Is that correct? Yeah, no, I would, I would absolutely agree with you. I, would, I think there was definitely a big piece of luck involved just in terms of, I mean, it was, it's not necessarily the luck that you want, but we were, yeah, it was a, uh, it was a supplemental pick as we call it. And um, we, our team, our team was struggling at the time. So we were pretty low. And then all of a sudden he got called up, which was really unforeseen. Like no one, I think he was injured most of last year and he was a, he was a top hundred prospect, but no one was expecting him at 19 after coming off an injury played year starting. And I think he started in high a this year to come up to the big leagues and let alone perform like this. So yeah, he was available and uh, we were performing pretty badly up to that point. So we, we had a pretty high pick that draft and uh, yeah, we took him, but um, I'm, I don't, I'm, I'm curious where he would have fallen though in that same draft, because we had some teams contacting us to trade up but it wasn't for him there was this pitcher it was ross stripling actually that people were really trying to trade up to get so <laughs> i wonder maybe he was the number two guy for sure but um yeah it, it did at least he wasn't necessarily the number one guy to everyone which i thought was surprising well i wasn't saying that to you know downgrade how well you guys have performed this year and not to dwell too much on our our personal fantasy league here but um <laughs> It, I mean, you guys are at the top of the league and, you know, to have that happen, it usually takes obviously good management, a little bit of luck here and there, and probably some good moves during the season. And you guys pulled that off recently with a Francisco Lindor deal. Um, he's obviously one of these guys that's been killing it all year. And even after the all-star break, um, I don't want to go into him so much as um, another young guy though, which is uh, Ronald Acuna. If I'm even pronouncing that right. I, I feel yeah, like I, I think it's his Acuna. Name yeah, I know it's a because it looks like that. It looks like a Kuna on all the on all the pages, but it's a Kunya. Why is there no Enya on that? <laughs> I know. I don't know. Maybe Fangraphs isn't capable of that character as of now. Um, but look, so like he's had a he's just been scorched earth for like the last week. He's got like six dingers, but even you know, ever since the all-star breaks, he's got twelve home runs, six God, stolen yeah. bases, he's batting, you know, above three fifty. And he's one of these young guys who was highly touted before the season. Um, is this just like the new norm for this guy? Not necessarily, you know, on pace to hit 60 homers, but is this guy, you know, a top 15 type of guy next year? You said top 15, like hitter? Yeah. Or just overall? That, that's a tough I would, one. I, I mean, would go, I'd just go hitter, I guess, for now. Okay. Yeah. I mean, top 15 hitter, that definitely seems reasonable. I, I could see him potentially cracking the, the bottom end of that. I think. Any, anytime you have a guy with his his level of speed, particularly in fantasy, that's going to be really interesting just because it's becoming more and more rare. So I think that alone uh, will probably at least have him in that conversation. But uh, yeah, I mean, he, he, he he's one of those um, prospects that was, I think he was like the number one prospect going into this year. He just had a meteoric rise last year up a prospect list to, to be the number one guy. So um, this was certainly, I guess you could say, expected to a certain degree, not necessarily those stats that you cited after the All-Star break, but just, I guess, you pretty much his year in aggregate so far as what you would probably expect from a guy like this. He's probably, I don't, I don't know what his stats are, but I would guess he's about 30% above league average, which was pretty amazing for a 20-year-old. And yeah, I think I think this is kind of what we can expect from him. I think he does strike me as one of those more streaky kind of hitters because he does tend to strike out a little bit more. So I think we will see maybe a, a few more ups and downs from him than say a Juan Soto, just because he has that elite plate discipline. Soto does where his performance might be <clears throat> a little bit more steady because of that. Whereas Acuna, because he's, he, he tends to strike out a little bit more. It doesn't walk quite as bit. So it doesn't get on base quite as bit. We'll probably see a little bit more of uh, volatility in his performance, but yeah, I mean, he's obviously hitting on the, the elite range of outcomes right now. And, um, just a really nice asset to own going forward for sure. Especially those in dynasty leagues. He, he might be, He's got to be one of the top like 10 hitters, I would imagine, to own, if not higher, maybe top five. 
Now, when it comes to on the mound, um, you know, the top 10 since the All-Star break is littered with names that you would kind of expect. You got DeGrom, you got Sale kind of uh, towards the bottom of the top 10, and then towards the top you have Scherzer. Um, I want to see if you can guess who's been the best pitcher, at least in wins leagues, since the All-Star game. I feel like I, I, I want to say that it's probably a pitcher that, that you own, I would guess. Am I right there, at least? Because I think I might know who it no. is. Okay, no. No. Who were you going to guess? I was going to guess Carlos Rodon because I know he's been pitching really well since uh, the All-Star break. I, I saw one of his games even. He has been pitching well, and he's in the top 10. Uh, but no, it's not him. I'll give you uh, one hint. He's on a bottom-feeding team. Or, or if not bottom-feeding, uh, definitely one of the worst teams in the league. Seeing. So are we talking about what the Marlins, the Orioles, um, the White Sox? Am I hitting any of those or am I off still? The uh off the Mets. Oh, the Mets. Okay. So we're not talking about DeGrom or Syndergaard, though? Nope. Zach Wheeler? Bingo. Oh, wow. I did not know that. Damn, he's been that good, huh? He's working on a 1-4 ERA. He's got five wins after the break. Jeez. And he's got a 5-1 to one strikeout to walk ratio in 32 innings. So, wow. yeah, he's been the top pitcher, at least in our wins league. Wow, how about those wins, man? Because they're, all the raids this year so far has been how DeGrom is basically having a, just a crazy good season but never gets the wins. And then all of a sudden you got this hotshot Wheeler who comes out of the break <laughs> with five straight wins, you said? Or I don't know if it's five straight, yeah, but... Five and oh. F- wow. Yeah, five okay. appearances, five wins. Um, Interesting. Real, real quick, actually, we might, we might as well jump into this. Um this is a debate that's been going on, you know, uh, quite a bit, especially in the NL right now, where most of the best uh, players this year have been pitchers. Uh, what do you think? Should Degrom win the Cy Young and, and maybe even be like an MVP candidate, uh, even though he's probably going to finish with single digit wins? Yeah, I, absolutely. I don't think wins should have wins should have absolutely zero bearing on both of those discussions. Just to squash that right in the bud, um, I think he certainly would be a strong competitor for the Cy Young. But there's also this guy Max Scherzer who plays in the NL as well, so it's far from a, a given because I know he's had a pretty amazing year as well. So uh, to answer your question, yeah, absolutely. He should, he should be in both discussions and it should have nothing to do with wins. Nice. Is there anyone else, um, at least post all-star break that has really like piqued your interest and you're going to have an eye on heading into next year? Huh? That, that's a good question. I mean, I'm all of a sudden I'm kind of interested in Wheeler action now that you bring him up for a couple of reasons. <laughs> um, <laughs> one is because, uh, so what I remember going back to one of the leagues that we planned together, he was he was kind of a topic of discussion, but he hadn't really been particularly relevant for a couple of years. I think he probably had Tommy John or some sort of injury where he'd been out for a while. And uh, Suds had said he was higher on our list, but I kind of moved him down below guys like Domingo Herman, for instance, which has not worked out well. So that's that's interesting point number one. And then I've got another piece coming out soon. I won't I'll, I'll give a give the listeners a taste right now and some analysis I've been doing, but um, yeah, I won't go too deep into it because I don't want to bury the lead but wheeler pr- ranks pretty well actually on, on the um the stat i've been trying to to work on here he ranks in the uh, let me see i'm trying to pull it up he ranks in the 93rd percentile of the uh the stat i'm i'm looking at here so he's he's got good stuff he's got pretty decent command and just the, the some of those those parts is equaling a, a pretty good pretty good picture here so yeah he's he's pretty intriguing all of a sudden Nice stuff. Um, what do you think? I mean, you just handed it your upcoming piece. Do you think it's worthwhile for us to at least touch on your most recent piece from a few weeks ago, which 
I thought was pretty interesting. You're talking about exploiting recency bias. That was the headline. And you're kind of talking about some, especially some big names here, like Nelson Cruz, Chris Bryant, who might've been underperforming to that point, but you're, you know, uh, rest of the season projections were obviously quite favorable. Can you kind of expand on that real quick for us? And no, I, I'm glad you bring this up now. I think this is a really nice juxtaposition with what we were just talking about because we were just talking about who are the hottest players since the All-Star break, which is, you know, it's it's a really fun discussion. And, and that, that's the kind of thing that you want is you want guys to come out and, and start playing like, you know, playing really well and, and you want the actual production. But some of the some of the work that went into this piece was just doing some research on existing analysis that had been done in the past. And basically what uh, Mitchell, I think his last name is Lichtman. I'm not sure exactly how to, to um, pronounce it, but he was one of the co-authors of the book, Playing the Percentages in Baseball. So it's looked at maybe, as you could say, like the Bible, so to speak, of, of modern day baseball analytics. And uh, he did some research that suggested that um, – Pretty much at any point in the season, whether we're the last day of the season or the first day of the season, rest of season projections will almost always be more predictive of future performance than current performance uh, if you were to measure it by WOBA. So I found that really interesting. And um, one of the ways that I put this into practice actually was um, in, in one of the other leagues that we play in, Trout Wars, me and Suds consummated a trade recently, and I traded away a guy that was... Um, was maybe one of the hottest players since the All-Star break, Rugnet Odor. So I'm looking at his uh, WRC yep. plus since the All-Star been, break, and he's top five. Yep. Yeah, so I I traded him away um, for Marcelo Zuna and a few other pieces. And as you, I'm sure you you know, Marcelo Zuna is struggling quite a bit this year. And uh, yeah, yeah. So it was it was one of those plays where I'm just looking at projections, and I I, I recognize the performance divergences to date, but I'm, I'm I keep coming back to this uh, idea that rest of season projections are supposed to be you know more predictive than uh, current performance. And so I kind of made a bet there and I got a few other pieces in addition as, you know, compensation for their current performances being on opposite spectrum. So I, I felt pretty good about the trade. We'll see how it ends up working, but yeah, so that, that was, that was the, the foundation of the piece. And then I tried to add a little bit to that because this, uh, research that Lickman did was good. I think he did it like three or four years ago or so. And, um, that was before the advent of Statcast and us getting a lot of the exit velocity and, uh, launch angle readings. So I feel like that's a new data point that we can add to further improve on Lickman's research on looking at rest season projection. So at least in this piece, what I try to do is I try to combine this idea, or you, you could almost put it this way is the, the kind of players that I would love to acquire at this point of the season, or like when I wrote this a month ago would be guys who rest of season projections look a lot better than their current performance. So that's one piece but Then also whose expected performance, you could say year to date, as judged by exit velocity and launch angle. So there's a lot of like expected stats out there, both from baseball savant and X stats. Uh, if those look a lot better than current performance, that that's almost like the, the Holy grail right there. If to date, they should have performed better as judged by exit velocity and, and launch angle. And then also their future projections like them more than current performance. If, if you can get that and an owner who's judging or valuing that player at based on current production and kind of getting frustrated, that would be a great acquisition target. And, that that was that was kind of the, the impetus behind the piece. Um, basically, trying to identify like the next Matt Carpenter because back in back at the end of May, I had identified him as one of the top targets to go out and buy, and he's been like the best player since then. So I'm hoping to identify a few more. But I don't know. Initial, yeah, initial um, readings from this uh, from this list that I produced aren't looking so great. So like I had Nelson Cruz. I think he's probably been okay since I recommended, but who knows how available he really was? I'm not like some of my. Uh, Evaluations here. He he didn't show up all that well. Like his year to date rank based on the fan graphs auction calculator is 150 for hitters. 
but I, I don't know where they got that from. That felt really low to me. Uh, like I, he hadn't been performing that poorly. So, but other way I wrote him up, um, Edwin Encarnacion, who I actually saw him in Chicago and he like left that game early. He's on the DL now after that. And Chris Bryant, I wrote up also is on the DL. So the only other guys that are still there that I wrote as for consideration were Chris Davis with a K who I think has been killing it, but I don't know how available he was. Marcelo Zuna was another guy I wrote up that I ended up acquiring and then uh, Anthony Rizzo as well. So that was the idea though. Explain the recency bias of recent performance um, by looking at future projections, which are sometimes hard to believe, but I mean, based on the the data that we have suggests that they're just, they're more predictive of future performance going forward. So I found that pretty interesting. Good stuff, bud. And uh, can you maybe tease for us just real quick what we should be looking forward to and we'll discuss on the next pod. Yeah, I think I think there's a couple things in the works. So I was just mentioning, uh, gave a little taste oh, of something right. as related to, <laughs> well, as related to Zach Wheeler. Yeah, um, there's there's something I'm doing with pitching right now that I'm, I, I've been sitting on this analysis for a few weeks now. I, I need to just go ahead and publish it. Um, I was trying to kind of tweak it and make it better and make the delivery a little better, but I, I think I'll just go ahead and publish that pretty soon. And then um, with regards to baseball, I think I had mentioned to you something where, um, just trying to address this idea that numbers and analytics are ruining baseball. So who knows, maybe I'll write something on that. And, um, but really I think pretty soon here, I'll start, I'll start transitioning to, uh, football, which is where a lot of my time has been. A lot of my, I guess, fantasy spare time has been transitioned to recently has been more focusing on football. I'm hyped for it. Um, as you know, I'm the king of coming in second place when it comes to fantasy football. <laughs> so I'm looking forward to keeping that tradition going this year. Yeah, me too. Did so. Um, speaking of that, did you hear like the big news of of how our league is evolving? If you mean we're implementing uh, PPR, uh, yeah, I heard, and I've <laughs> tried to talk myself into it, but it just hasn't happened. <laughs> yeah, um, I mean, I think it's I think it's a reasonable point of view that you have. Um, to I mean, right, so yeah, here let's let's just you know what here let's get into it. Let's put all of our cards on the table. <laughs> You as the commission, you've kind of, in a, dare I say, Stalinist fashion, just kind of <laughs> forces on the people. And, you know, I don't, I don't really know if I like this so much. So explain <laughs> to me why, because I tried to buy uh, your initial pitch. And I don't know, dude, I just can't get behind it. It's like you're rewarding guys for catching a pass. Like, okay, why? I'm not really following. So <laughs> yeah. is this so we can, what, play Rex Burkhead more? I'm not following why that's exciting. <laughs> yeah. No, I think um, yeah, you ra- you raise a good point, and and I've always been on that side too. And I don't think my I don't think my take has evolved much more beyond my last argument. But no, I was I was definitely with you all the time in that. I don't think there is actually necessarily like material incremental value in a reception alone. So if that's you know that that's your counter argument, I think that's a strong counter argument. I think where my argument steps in though is that kind of put that aside for a second because that's not really the core issue. The core issue is that in current fantasy, particular standard fantasy, uh, you know, running backs are everything. Even in PPR, running backs, like elite running backs are still everything. And the sort of, I don't know if ironic is the right word, but like the the part where there's a disconnect there is that in the modern day NFL, the running back position has been completely devalued relative to passing for there's a, there's a couple ways in that, in that way. And that's true. So first is that, um, offenses are passing is just inherently more efficient than running. And there's a lot of success rate statistics among other things that, that show that, uh, among, and, and you kind of see it too, with the, the best passing offenses tend to be the best offenses as well. So just running the ball a ton of times is sort of archaic and, and that's not really, um, 
the, the most efficient way to run, run an offense. So that that's one point. And we're seeing that also in the way that running backs are valued in terms of they're getting smaller contracts. They're getting uh, drafted later on average. I recognize that there's still some guys that draft towards the top, but in the NFL draft, they're getting drafted later uh, on average. And so I think the confluence of those things suggests that the way that we're judging them in fantasy is, is sort of backwards. And given that, at least in my opinion, our game is supposed to, as best we can, reflect the real life game. And obviously I recognize that there's, it's not always going to be perfect and I'm totally okay with that, but at least to the extent that we can in a reasonable way, we should try to do that. So I thought the best way to do that was given that wide receivers in real life are actually a lot more valuable given that their big role in, in producing an efficient offense in the passing game. Um, the best sort of happy medium would be at least you have PPR because, um, you know, full PPR might be a little bit over the top. So give, give them half PPR to at least raise their collective points against running backs. So there's still going to be probably, there's probably still going to be outscored on average by running backs still. So it's not like we're totally fixing the issue, but at least make it close. So we're, we're raising the value of, of running back or I'm sorry, of wide receivers to be more commensurate with their real life value. So I, I think that's the best way to think about it is not necessarily just focusing dead on on the reception but think about it more holistically like wide receivers should have in theory they should actually be more valuable than running backs i recognize that probably not gonna be able to do that in fantasy but we should at least uh balance the scales a little bit to at least somewhat reflect what the true reality is so i think that's my long-winded way of saying um yeah we got to find a way to make wide receivers at least have a fighting chance against against running backs in fantasy given that in real life they are far more valuable well, look, I'll, uh, I'll start with extending an olive branch to you, which is I agree 100% that obviously the modern-day NFL uh, definitely values receivers in the passing game more than it does the running game. However, two things to go against that. One, doesn't it feel like it would already naturally, naturally be in wide receiver fantasy values because if they're going on, right, there's more passing yards to go around, there's more touchdowns to go around – aren't they already getting their fair share of that just by the league adjusting and going towards more of a pass happy uh, play calling uh, uh, strategy or, or like, I'm not, I'm just, I'm not following yeah. why they have to get rewarded for the past too. If they're already seeing their stats go up and running back stats are declining and then followed by, I'm actually not so sure now that we're, I mean, maybe the Rams are just off their rocker, but it seems like they almost like reset the running back market a bit with this giant Todd Gurley contract. And who knows, like maybe we will see running backs start to get paid a little more in the next few years because you guys, you have guys like him, you have uh, Le'Veon Bell and other studs out there that can catch uh, passes on the rock pretty well. Yep. So I, th- I think you make a great point there. And I think you're absolutely right on that point in that uh, at least from a receiver perspective, a lot of their production is, um, you know, baked in for the, for the most part, they get, they get credit for their yards, they get credit for their touchdowns. So like relative to other receivers within, if you look at just the wide receiver cohort alone, I would agree that that those rankings reflect fairly well, uh, how those receivers are kind of in real life for the most part. And then I think you kind of alluded to this a little bit, but I think that the biggest issue comes where in a standard format where almost all, I, I mean, almost across the board, running backs will be worth more than wide receivers. And um, again, just kind of going back to the idea that that's just not truly the case on average in real life, just trying to find a way to bridge the gap between those two positions. And just because, because running backs receive so many more touches than wide receivers. So like running backs, um, you know, even like a relatively small 
uh, opportunity share there is worth a lot more than like a big opportunity share for wide receivers. Like on a good day, a wide receiver will have like 10 targets, for example, whereas running backs, you know, on a relatively average day might have 10 touches. So um, just being able to try to better bridge that gap to reflect reality is the idea. And yeah, to your point, like guys, like I mean, really, isn't that just like an inherent, it's just like an inherent difference in the positions, right? I mean, like that's, it's yeah. been like that since the dawn of football, right? Like running backs usually touch the ball more. Yeah. And even if it's a less efficient way to move the ball, I mean, they do this. That's the fact, right? They touch the ball more than, than a wide receiver. So why do we have to try and like even it out? I just, I don't know. Yeah. I'm, just, I'm not, I'm not really feeling it still. I think, I think it's because it's the, it's the difference in value that that's the, that's the main thing is those running back touches in real life are worth a lot less and they contribute to a, a an efficient offense, a lot less than the, the reception that the wide receiver has. So that's, that's like the, essence of the argument but i do agree with you that there are a lot of running backs i don't know about a lot of but at the at the high end of the running back class there are the guys like Gurley who are effective pass catchers as well like david johnson lev bell and so those guys will still even in a ppr format because of all their contributions in the receiving game contributing to a more efficient offense in real life they will still be like you know the kings of the kings of the playground still just given all those receptions so i think it'll i think it'll still balance out i think um we are we are experimenting with more of a a uh, watered down format instead of going the full PPR, which I think might be a little bit over the top. So half PPR might be kind of the happy medium with um, not going completely in, but also recognizing the other end of what you're arguing is that a lot of their production is captured in the current scoring. So we don't want necessarily to go too far with it. Look, I think it's admirable that we're trying to get the game, uh, the fantasy game that is to reflect the real game as much as possible. But I mean, that's just, simply not the case most of the time right like we you're usually never going to play a fullback uh for instance which i mean sometimes they're they're important in football maybe not as much as they were a decade ago also like uh, for instance like quarterbacks as we know are more valuable than they've they've ever been right and i mean like at what point do we start maybe giving guys a tenth of a point for passes completed then right like i mean where where do we draw the line on actually trying to make it so precise that uh, you know, at some point it just kind of gets a, a little too muddled and trying to perfect the numbers here. Yeah. I, it's funny you mentioned that actually, because Suds had pitched to me an idea of that exact same thing where you would have positive points for completions, negative points for attempts. That was really interesting. Actually. I think it was a little bit far out there for experimenting with, but it was definitely something I noted down. Um, I mean, do you, you have no like to stand on if you, I mean, how can you argue it against it? Right. If PPR, how come we're not doing that? No, I would agree. I've, I actually think it makes a lot of sense. And I, I thought the pitch made a lot of sense. It was just more trying not to introduce too many moving parts at once, but it is definitely <laughs> on the agenda to at least discuss down the road. So I, I think it's a great point. Look, again, um, another Stalinist method where you're not trying to do too much change because you know the, the people <laughs> that revolt. <laughs> no, actually, the funny thing is that there's there's a lot of collaborative discussion that happens behind the scenes. So I, I think I had even spoke to you about it. I gave you my pitch. I think I don't think you've ever <laughs> fully come around on it, but there was a lot of others that did. In fact, I would say the majority of the league that did. And so, um, yeah, it just I felt like it made a lot of sense based on the sentiments of the league. And, you know, I, I recognize that it's not a unanimous decision. So maybe in that sense, there was some aspect of a uh, of a dictator, you know, making an executive decision. So um, I think I think you'll enjoy it, though. And I think I think it does make a lot of sense. I, I understand the shortcomings of it. Um like with your argument largely yeah, because I actually completely agree with you too. I, I came from the same argument, but yeah. Sure. And look, I'm not losing sleep over it. I'm actually uh, to be f- uh, completely forthright. I'm, I'm actually kind of looking to having another wrinkle that separates this fantasy league from the other main league we play in, which is a little more old school. Um, 
And then also it just gives me another opportunity to lose in two different formats <laughs> in the championship game. So I look yeah. forward to that. And uh, I guess I'll give you like a midseason update on what my thoughts are in a few yeah, there weeks. We go. Yeah. And, and at the end of the day, it's going to mean more scoring too, which tends to be you know more fun. You get more points, things like that. Um, I think there's a lot of fun to it. Yeah. And- but at what point do you just, I mean, you're just cheapening points at that point. I mean, it's just like, what's the point of, of sex, right? If you're just going to like some like $10 hooker, like, okay, just, you're just cheapening the whole thing. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I think, um, I think my, my core argument absolutely stands. And I think a, a positive externality of that is the additional point. So that's certainly not the primary motivation, just trying to put a positive spin on it. Um, I think there was one other point that I had also on the league, by the way, was you you mentioned something about quarterbacks. So we do do the two quarterbacks essentially when we would do the super flex, which is I think pretty fun. But um, this year there's this new quite a bit of demand to join the league. And if you close to the league, we, we actually decided to expand to 14 teams. So it's going to be quite deep Whoa. this year, 14 teams. Love it. <laughs> um, <laughs> sorry, my mouth is full of almond butter right now. Um, Boise's own almond butter, but yeah, I'm pretty stoked about that. Yeah, so 14 teams, including um, if he if he's listening to this, Billy, he's he's back in. He I think his team name is Whoa. like yeah, it was like 256 or something like that. I thought it was like it was like 50. Per, it was like half of 538 or something. I thought it was a play on 538. Like <laughs> I can't figure out why he's 256. Um, but yeah, he's he's back. Off the top of my head, it's not a Seinfeld reference that I can remember, so that's also out the yeah. window. Um, yeah, I couldn't figure it out. We almost might have to bring him on to explain himself. <laughs> so yeah, man, I'm I'm excited about it. I think it's going to be a, a fun season. I'm, I'm already in a I'm in four leagues this year, so um, this is always my my top league, though my favorite. I think we I think we do a nice job of pushing the needle uh, on some new some new ideas while also not going overboard. So I think it, it it'll be fun. Good stuff, bud. Is there anything else on the uh, football front? I know you mean probably briefly wanted to touch on uh, our two favorite college quarterbacks of all time. Yours being Jared Goff of my LA Rams and my boy, Sam Darnold, uh, Orange County's finest playing for the New York Jets now. Yeah. I mean, I, I I like both these guys, so there's nothing, there's nothing I can say there, but um yeah, man, I, I think I think Goff's just the I think he's just a better he's the better pro prospect and I think he's going to be the, Was the better I think he's the better pro prospect of the two and I think he's going to be a better Why? NFL quarterback than Arnold. Um, well, he was because he's per- tall and lanky. I mean, they're both. I mean, I don't know. I mean, like Darnold can move out of the pocket unlike Goff. Uh, they're both giant airheads. I know that, so they're equal there. Right. It's um, funny you say that. Actually, I mean, not not to shit on Cal too much, but I mean, Darnold did play at a much more elite uh, university, and he was. I think several other uh, people that I respect their opinions on from SC, especially uh, USC's own Scott Wolf, the best beat writer they have. They think he's the best in SC history. Yeah, no, I, and I'm certainly not trying to diminish Darnold because I, I like him quite a bit as well. I think he's I think he's going to be good. I just think Goff's a better oh, come on, prospect. Diminished. <laughs> well, no, I think I think I think it's more about Goff's just a better prospect, man. He's just he's just better. Uh, he was more productive in college, so he had a better QBR. He had better yards per attempt, so that that's one. It's Jordan one. I, I know this doesn't necessarily Darnold's fault, but Goff did it at a younger age as well. I mean, he was a true freshman in uh, you know eighteen years old, eighteen years, the kids twelve years old. He was eighteen years old when he started doing this. To your point, he is a little bit taller, but I, I don't put too much weight into that. And uh, actually, I, I don't think that Goff is in her head, so I think Darnold. He might be because I'm looking at some. Often, didn't know what side of the 
Goff doesn't know where the sun rises. Did you ever I, see Hard Knocks? Yeah, I know. You act like that's like so represent- the quote unquote best public university in the world, even though University of Virginia has something to say about that. But <laughs> just because he went there doesn't mean he actually was worthy of going to Cal. He went there because he was an elite quarterback stud. Right. And it has nothing to do with that. I love how just like one little anecdote is enough for you to completely make a judgment on his entire brain. That's like a sound process. But his Wonderlick score was actually 78th percentile in the NFL, whereas Darnold was 47th percentile. So based on that, I would at least say that Goff at least is in the upper quartile of uh, NFL quarterbacks, whereas Darnold's well below at least average. So based on that. and Are you trying to to employ my boy is not the smartest? Um, <laughs> not the sharpest tool in the shed here. Exactly. Yeah, I am. And um, yeah, beyond yeah. that too. I mean, so Goff had like 84th percentile throw velocity. We don't really know what Sam Darnold was, so I can't really comment on that. But 84th is pretty good. So he's he's got a powerful arm. And also, uh, based on at least the numbers, um, I, I know what you see on TV, and I don't want all your math equations, but uh, Darnold's not that much better of an athlete than Goffsy. Based on 40 yard dash, Goff's faster. Based on uh, the their like Nike Spark X score, they're like roughly the same. They're both not very good. Dude, so, dude so much. Marcus Russell had like an insane combine, and then he completely he sucked D out there. So <laughs> I, I don't really care about that stuff that much. Well, I, I told you also, already dude, that. Okay, look, I'm kind of sh- I'm shitting on my own golf argument a second here by calling him an airhead. But like, when did Wonderlick become like the end all be all when it comes to quarterback success? Like, if you look at the top ten Wonderlick scores of all time, it's not littered with uh, like Aaron Rodgers or Tom Brady. It's got yeah. a bunch of guys like Ryan Fitzpatrick and, <laughs> and Matt, Benjamin Watson, Matt Burke. <laughs> no, I agree. I, mean, I agree with you. I was just I was just refuting the airhead comment. Well, I mean. I, I started with the strongest argument. Goff was just a more productive quarterback than Darnold. They had roughly a similar schedule. You can't argue that it was crazy different. They played in the same conference for Christ's sakes. Goff did it when he was younger. He was more productive. I mean, he's just he's just better, man. I don't I don't know what else to say. Like I I, I wish it wasn't true. But well, and the funny thing, actually, we don't, we don't know if he's better yet now because we haven't seen Darnold actually play an NFL game. And here's where it's going to get interesting. Where look, I'm cheering for Goff because I'm a Rams. I'm a diehard Rams fan yeah. since 2016. Right, and right. I want him to, <laughs> I want him to do well, and I think he's better set up to have a strong career, at least yeah. from the get go, right? Because he's been drafted into a slightly better, actually, I would say, much better situation where he's got one of the best coaches in the league. He's got a high octane offense around him, whereas yep. Darnold's playing for the Clippers of the NFL, basically, right? Like, yep. or, and I'm talking like the old school Clippers, where the Jets are just complete shit show, and yep. they're already haggling him on small little, you know, contract bonuses here and there, making them late to camp. I just, I have a bad feeling in my stomach about this place for Darnold, even though I think he'll still find a way to rise above and ball out. I completely agree with you. First of all, I, I, I'm a Darnold, Darnold advocate as a fellow, uh, you know, Orange County zone. I did see him at John Wayne. I think we made eye contact at one point. I took a picture of him. So <laughs> you know, I'm a, I'm a big fan. I'm a supporter. I, I, gr- I think you make a great point. I think that it's dude. I, and I know that you're, I know you've got a bet with Bapas on this too, uh, between Darnold and Goff. And I think, I frankly, I just think it's going to be hard to, it's going to be hard to be able to tease out the situation from the quarterback because I do think Goff's in a way better situation. I think McVeigh is, been shown it's only been one year but we think he's kind of an offensive genius whereas we have no idea what that um jet situation is like and, and not to mention that the rams invested quite a bit in skill players last year and surrounding golf with a lot of weapons to you know kind of ease some of the burden so i yeah i think he's in a way better situation um better team and i think darnold's gonna have darnold's gonna be flashier and you're gonna be tempted to say that's better he's gonna make some big play out of the pocket but i think on the whole 
Goff's just going to have, he's just going to be better by the numbers. He's, he's just going to be better, just like he was a better college prospect than Darnold. All right. Well, we'll, uh, I guess we'll have to check back in 15 years, like me and uh, Boppas are going to do, but I'm, yeah. uh, I'm going to roll with my boy Donald for now because, yeah. I mean, he was the only reason that USC didn't fall off the face of the earth the last two years because Clay Helton is a complete bumpkin. He sh- it still shocks me that he's not only the coach, he just got a contract extension. And largely he got that because of Sam Darnold, right? He sat him for the first uh, three games uh, for Max Brown. And uh, SC, you know, got absolutely oh, – I don't, no one wants to hear about this. Anyway, long story short, uh, Darnold's the best quarterback in SC history, and I'm looking forward to seeing him uh, hopefully ball out in New York. Right. And last comment on that. The funny thing is if you look at playerprofiler.com on Sam Darnold's profile, his best comparable pro is Jared Goff. So it's, it's going to be a conversation. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, looking forward to it, man. And, and speaking of debates, um, you know, I, I know yeah. we're eventually – what's up? Yeah, no, no, go ahead. No, I, I know we're going to get to this at some point. Um, I will admit that I kind of screwed the pooch here, but I, I did want to start talking a little bit about Curb and, and counting down our, our top 10s. I know you were ready to go with your number 10 episode today. I unfortunately was not. the uh, For whatever reason, <sighs> I just found the exercise somewhat painful. Like, like, I don't know, man. I got through like season five. I, was like, I don't think I could do this any longer. I need, it's not I need going to break. Right you know, it's watching the best comedy of all time and just picking your favorites. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. Like, I felt like like the Seinfeld experience was so much easier to go through, and just curve felt like a little bit of a chore. So I need to get back at it. And I don't know. I mean, you Seinfeld you, you, is more of a simpleton show. That's true. <laughs> well, you seem to enjoy the exercise, though. You at least have give the listeners a taste of, I don't know, something that popped out to you while you're doing it, or maybe an episode that wasn't in your top ten that you wanted to mention some other way. I mean, you you deserve some credit for going through the exercise, you know, in time for for the podcast. So want to give you the floor to talk about anything you want there sure i'll probably give you my top of the quote best of the rest which is one of the first curbs i ever saw as a young lad and it really drew me in because i mean not only was it funny it's got my boy larry david in it but it also pulled in the lakers and Shaq. uh and the episode is you know aptly titled just Shaq. <laughs> and I know you've seen this one for those listening that haven't. Uh, Larry's sitting courtside at a Laker game. He's, <laughs> for whatever reason, completely stretched out. He's got his legs, you know, just uh, w- way out almost onto the court. And Shaq runs by the bench. He's going back into the game. Larry trips him. And, uh, you know, uh, Shaq's injured. The entire city of LA is just furious with LB. And, you know, at first, like Larry is kind of terrified by this, but then he actually really comes around to it because, you know, no one, you know, wants anything to do with him. So it lets him out of all these like annoying social obligations he had. Um, so I just like love like the irony of that. Uh, I love Shaq when uh, him and LD are interacting and he's hanging out in the hospital. Um, I also love the part where, you know, I'm not a coffee drinker. So anytime I go to like a Starbucks, I think of when LD goes in and he's talking about a cafe latte and he's like, oh, like what's in this? And he's uh, like milk and coffee. He's like milk and coffee. Who would have thought milk and coffee? And he like starts buying them for everyone. So that's one of my favorite curb episodes or curb scenes of all time. And it almost cracked the top 10. Yeah, no, that, that's a good episode. I was, I was trying to check my list. I didn't even have that one down actually, even though I did remember re, re uh, watching it. It's one of the better earlier ones, but um, yeah. I mean, Hey, look, maybe we take that as a sign from uh, above that it's time for us to get off this pod. What do you think? Yeah, I think so. I like the, yeah, I definitely like the sign from above. 
<laughs> but uh, hopefully the people that are somehow still listening to this enjoyed that we actually have, you know, we've invested a little bit of money into the pod all of a sudden. We have these fancy pants mics, and uh, I think it's going to sound a little better. Uh, audio glitches notwithstanding right now. Yeah, we got skin in the game now. We're yeah, we're trying to invest in a better product. So hopefully hopefully it's re- reflecting in the in the end product and everyone's enjoying. Good shit, bud. Well, let's keep the uh, momentum rolling next week. What do you think? Yep, no, that sounds good. Let's go for it. Alrighty, talk to you later. All right, man. Thanks for listening, everyone. Hey, Brooks, did you hear anything I just said there at all or no? I, I didn't hear any of that. Did you hear my curb uh, <laughs> quick recap? Uh, yeah, I heard the whole thing. I um, didn't dude, hear I a wait, damn thing. These fucking mics on can't think straight. I heard the whole thing, and then you stopped, right? And you're waiting for me to respond? I was. I was waiting yeah, for a good minute I, there. I didn't, I, I didn't realize I was on mute, and then I went. I thought I turned it off mute, and you didn't say anything. Then I pressed the button again, and you still didn't say anything. So, um, yeah, I guess I guess I gotta figure out these mics though, but I gotta remember that mute means if the button is red, <laughs> that means I'm not on mute. If it's flashing, that means I'm on mute. For whatever reason, I found that kind of confusing. Um, okay, well, I'll have to remember that next time.